can get this fourplex by yourself, but you're limiting yourself to your own capital and credit. He said, alternatively, you could bring a group of investors together and you could get a 100 or 200 unit apartment building. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, that's a thing? I thought, until that moment, I thought you needed Donald Trump's bank account to do that. Like, it never would have occurred to me that real normal people do that. Um, and so I was like, oh, <laughs> I want to do that like that. <laughs> That's what I want to do. That sounds great. Um, so I went home that night and told my husband, I was like, there's this thing. It's called syndication. You bring groups of investors together. I'm like, let's learn how to do that. Uh, especially since because we were self-employed at that time, because I had, I had left law a few years earlier. Um, we were self-employed, so it was hard to get conventional loans. Welcome to Real Estate Deal Closers with Annette Talee, where we focus on the deals. Our guests are real estate closers who will share in detail the whole process from finding a deal to closing it, as well as strategies and tips to help you do the same. Here's your host, Annette Talee. Welcome to another episode of Deal Closers. I am your host, Annette Lee, and my guest today is Monique Hamm. Welcome, Monique. Thanks for having me, Annette. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm very excited, excited to have you because I know that you have the same passion as me to educate more women in real estate. So let me tell you a little bit about Monique. Uh, she's an educator and advocate for women to create passive income streams through real estate investing. Her mission is to assist 1 million women to achieve financial freedom through real estate. She is the founder of Real Estate Investor Goddesses and is herself a real estate investor and syndicator with over 14 years of real estate investing experience in multifamily, mobile homes and RV parks, flipping commercial vacation rentals and ground up development. To, together with her husband and her investor, she owns over 1,300 rental units across six states. She is the number one best-selling author of the Real Estate Investor Goddess Handbook and Wealth for Women, Conversations with the Team that Creates the Dream, and the host of the Real Estate Investor Goddesses podcast. She is also a real estate strategy mentor, keynote speaker, recovering attorney, Certified interior designer, feng shui expert, avid world traveler, wife, and mother of three amazing kids. Wow, <laughs> that is impressive. So, Monique, tell us how did you get into real estate? I got into real estate completely by accident. I was raised um, by great, great parents. I'm a first generation American. My parents are from Haiti told me always I could be anything I wanted, but in parentheses, as long as I was a doctor, lawyer, professor, engineer. <laughs> that's what they knew of as success, right? So, and the only thing I'd ever been taught about real estate was to get your own home. And I became a lawyer. I hated being a lawyer, but that's a whole other co conversation. What type of uh, I was a corporate litigator. Okay. Long hours, really intense. Um, and I was, you know, partnership track in a big firm. And uh, the only thing that I'd been taught about real estate was to get your own home. So I went to get a house and that was 2005 towards the top of the last bubble. And in Los Angeles, where I live, 
even back in 2005, a semi-decent house in a semi-decent neighborhood, not like fancy Bel Air mansion or Beverly Hills, just like a, a neighborhood where you're not going to have drive-by shootings, <laughs> a decent house was upwards of $700,000. Wow. And even though I was, you know, making six figures as an attorney, it was like a low six figures, I couldn't afford anything by myself. And a friend of mine who is in a similar boat suggests that we buy a duplex together. Uh, the original idea would be that we would buy a house with two equal sides and each live on one side. And since I could afford half a house, and I was like, yeah, let's do that. But instead of finding a property with two equal sides, we ended up finding this one, this like beautiful old craftsman that had a larger bottom unit, a two bedroom upstairs, a converted garage that was another one bedroom unit in the back. And, um, and we bought that each took a bedroom in the, in the larger unit. And we ended up renting out the upstairs, renting out our back house and renting out our basement even. And we started house hacking before I knew that was a thing. It was just like, Oh, this is awesome. <laughs> We're paying our mortgage. And, um, this is great. And then when I met my husband, he had a duplex and we got a single family rental together. And after the crash in 2008, uh, and houses became on sale. We ended up selling one of our properties and we started flipping with the proceeds. So we were flipping until about 2015 when houses were not so on sale and it was very expensive and competitive here in LA. And at that point I ended up meeting a man who would become my mentor and who completely ch changed the game for me in real estate. And it all happened like one 10 minute conversation. So it was Robert Helms, who's the host of the Real Estate Guys Radio podcast. And uh, it was, we had a mutual friend and, I, and he was, so I was, at the time I, you know, I was getting tired of the flipping because it's like a, it's a short term job, right? Like you do the job, hopefully you get money at the end of it, but then you have to start over again. And I wanted something that was more passive and buy and hold, but nothing made any financial sense in LA, like nothing cash flows here. So I, um, he's my friend, our mutual friend, Kyle said, you should meet my friend, Robert Helms. He's coming to LA tomorrow and you should talk to him. I was like, sure. So I went and I was telling Robert, he was asking me what I was, what I was up to. I told him about the flipping and the looking for the fourplex in LA. And he said, you know, LA is a tough market. I always say live where you want to live and best where the numbers make sense. And I went, oh, I, until he said that, I always thought you had to invest where you lived, where you could drive to your property, touch it, and you know. Oh my goodness, you just said something that I was always like, I need to see it, touch it, and feel it, you know. And manage it yourself is what I thought too, right? So I, that's how I, I thought. I just, it never occurred to me that I could invest in any other way. So when he said that, it literally opened up the world to me. And, um, and it's, it's not bad if you think that if and you're in a place that's affordable, like Florida is way more affordable than Los Angeles. Um, but, you know, I was stuck where like a semi-decent house in a semi-decent neighborhood where you're not going to get shot was like a purchase of $700,000. So I was like, that's a lot of real estate you can get in other markets. Um, and I, and then the next thing he said was, and you can get this fourplex by yourself, but you're limiting yourself to your own capital and credit. He said, alternatively, you could bring a group of investors together and you could get a 100 or 200 unit apartment building. And I was like, 
what? <laughs> I was like, that's a thing? I thought, until that moment, I thought you needed Donald Trump's bank account to do that. Like, it never would have occurred to me that real normal people do that. Um, and so I was like, oh, <laughs> I want to do that like that. <laughs> That's what I want to do. That sounds great. Um, so I went home that night and told my husband, I was like, there's this thing. It's called syndication. We're groups of investors together. Like, let's learn how to do that. Uh, especially since because we were self-employed at that time, because I had, I had left law a few years earlier. Um, we were self-employed, so it was hard to get conventional loans. And until that time, we were, we were really, and we, gosh, I was so ignorant. There was so much I didn't know, but we were just paying all cash for everything. And so we would go in, pay all cash for these very expensive properties in Los Angeles, do the work, get the cash back, and then we just sort of, we kept doing that. Um, because it was hard for us to get financing. And um, so I was like, oh, yeah, bring groups of investors together. And then there's like commercial financing is a whole other thing. And uh, so we went, that was October 2015. I had that conversation with Robert Helms. And we went, I went home that night. That night we bought tickets for their syndication seminar, the real estate guys syndication seminar. So January 2016. We were in Phoenix learning about syndication and that's how it got on this path. Within a year, we had over a thousand doors by bringing groups of investors together and doing this strategy. So, and that's, that's kind of how I got into what I'm doing now. <laughs> yeah. You are muted. Oh, okay. <laughs> What I was saying is that um, that is awesome. Only five years ago, you you kind of started in this path where you decided, oh, I can invest somewhere else, and I can bring other people, use other people's money. Yeah, four years ago, less than five years ago. Amazing. The deal. All right. So now let's go and talk about the deal. What deal are we talking about today? Yeah, so I want to talk about a deal. Well, it's actually, can I talk about two deals that end up coming together? They're, they happen almost simultaneously. Absolutely. Um, so they, they kind of became a package and was part of the whole story. So I'll talk about two deals. And I want to talk about that one that, because it is actually, it was a, some deals that we bought that first year and um, it went full cycle through. Um, so that was... There were two what type of deal. What they were multifamily. So there was a 77 unit and a 51 unit in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, they, they were being sold by two separate owners, but they were relatively close together. They were both smaller than what we were looking for, but because they were close together, we realized we could buy them together and manage them together and create some more economies of scale that way. So then we ended up with 128 units. Um, so we found this 77 unit, which was, um, a, it was a, they were both C-class buildings. One was in a, a B neighborhood on the rise. The other one was in a C neighborhood on the rise. Or so we thought. <laughs> That's a lot of the story. It was not as on the rise as we thought. Um, there were certain things that you look for that we saw, 
Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell, oh, I can share later, like, where we went wrong and how we, <laughs> and how a miracle of God literally fixed this for us. But, um, so we found, uh, we found these, these units and how we did, because we hadn't, we hadn't been thinking. How, how did, let me ask you that. How did you find them? Were they listed or did you have a, a broker send them to you? So at this point we were kind of baby investors, right? So we were baby syndicates. This was our first this was our first year and it was one of our first deals. So we had syndicated at this point, we had syndicated, helped syndicate a mobile home park, but that mobile home park had been found by a friend of ours. So he had done all the way. So, but we, we've been involved in that on the sponsorship side, but we didn't have much experience. So this was our first deal where we actually did it and how we got people to pay attention to us. There's a, there's a lot of happy accidents in this. First of all, we found we found the apartment the the properties in Albuquerque through a networking at an event. So it was actually my husband who met this woman who was asking him what he was doing, and he said we were he was looking for a multifamily. And at that time, we were looking more in Texas and some other markets. And she says, "Have you ever considered Albuquerque, New Mexico?" And he said, "No, I haven't. Tell me about it." And so she started telling him about it. And um, we, we started doing some research and we liked the market. It was pretty, um, it had been very steady. It hadn't had the booms and busts of other markets and it was just pretty, pretty steady, but there were some, there was some new things coming with a lot more um, entertainment work. And it was, they had all these tax breaks for like movies and things. So there was a lot of that activity happening in, um, in Albuquerque and in New Mexico around the time. And it was like a, it was a Facebook data center that was coming. There was, there was, there were things. So I was like, okay, this is, but it was still towards the beginning of that, but this is interesting. All right, we'll check it out. And she said, yeah, I can connect you to a commercial broker. And she did. Turns out it was her nephew, but he found, he helped us find these deals. They were listed, they were on the market, but it was actually, at this time, and right before things started going really crazy, we were, we were able to get them below asking. And um, which, you know, very soon that changed, but we, we got it at this really good time. So there was a, the 77 unit was, was on the market for 3.4 million. We ended up getting it for 3 million 75,000. What was great was we were actually 50K lower than another, um, than another uh, potential buyer, but they liked us. They thought we, could, we, could, we would close. So we got the deal. And the other one was on the market for 1.95 and we got it for 1.8 and that was a 51 unit. Um, and so what how, how did you negotiate these prices down from 3.4 and 1.9? Um, we looked and partly it was through our, you know, getting the advice of our, our listing or our, 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 the sellers, our, our broker was representing us. Um, we talked with a property, man, our property management company. So we, we hired the, it was the largest property management company in the state. Actually one of them, the, the, one of the buildings that property management company was already managing. 
um, obviously knew the, knew the, um, the seller and they might've helped. <laughs> that was the one where we got it for 50,000 below. Did you know that they were managing the building when you? Yeah, we it? did. Yeah, okay. we did. So it was helpful cause we had that continuity. Um, and they, they were, you know, they could show us a little bit where the skeletons were buried. Um, so that, uh, they, they did not end up actually being the best property management company. We had to get rid of them. Um, there was, they were not great. That was the hard part about that, that whole situation in Albuquerque. It was really hard to find property management um, there that, that, was, that could do the job well. Um, it really mattered who was, who was uh, in the seat. But uh, that's, so they, we got that for 3.075 and we ended up syndicating. So we had Did um, put them together, or yeah, we put them together. No, actually, no, we didn't. We we put we kept them apart. So we had two separate. Um, we did two syndications. We were we offered them the same time, but they were they were separate. They were each distinct. Mm-hmm. Um, so we yeah we kept them. They they each had its own syndication, its own LLC. Um, but we managed it together. And then we ended up luckily finding one borrower, a couple, sorry, one buyer two years later, less than two years, a little less than two years, who bought them both together from us. But at that, but initially they were, you know, we two separate, two separate sellers and then two separate deals. I think we, we decided we would do that just in case one didn't go, we didn't want to tank the whole other one. So they were, they were distinct. Right, because if one was performing bad, you could sell that separate, and then maybe the other one you could keep for longer, so you had yeah. flexibility. There were there, it might there might have been some benefits to having them together as one syndication too, just being a little bit more flexible that way. But we we decided at the time it made more sense to just keep them separate. Right. So how how did you fund it and finance it? So we got, um, we got Freddie loans for 75, 75% for each. We had three years of interest only. Wow. And I'm trying to remember, I, I'm blanking on the interest rate, but it was, a, it was a pretty good interest rate for the time. But it's been a few years, so I forgot. I forgot what the interest rate was, but <laughs> but it was got, good. It was a good interest rate. It was a good interest rate at the time, so we got we we got a good deal on it. Um, we did not get the we did not get the 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 capex. We raised the capex. So during our syndication, we raised the down payment and the capex and cash reserves. So we we did that. I think it was two point two million cumulatively that we raised for those two deals. What was your intention uh, and the, 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 the term of the syndication? Uh, was it a five-year? It was going to be five-year hold. Um, and we ended up selling it in just on the, both in on just under two years. And we, we ended up closing on them a week apart, or a few days apart. So it was all like we bought them together and then sold them. But yeah, just under two years. And we sold it at a profit. Thank you. Thank you, God. Literally, 
<laughs> so, okay, let me, I'll get real about this deal. Yeah. I don't know. This I is don't more, know. Sorry, this no. more about like closing, closing deals. But let me talk about like running the deal. Um, because, so there were, there were, first of all, I think it was tough because neither us nor our partner on the ground, our, our other partners, so we had one other partner that we did this deal with. He was in Dallas. It was a pilot, so he could, you know, we we could get there. We got there quite frequently, but it's not the same as actually having very trustworthy boots on the ground. I think when you have great property management that are running deals well, it's fine. It's just that we did not have that situation. <laughs> so, um, and there were there are times that we just like in the summer, I, we took our daughter and we we lived in Albuquerque for um for weeks because we like we had and when we were there we could see things and things approved and then we'd leave and it was like um it was it was tough it was a tough culture to work in and um and so we and we did make some mistakes and we were relying on our property management company to show us like what we could or couldn't do and um but we over improved some of the properties. I mean, we, were, we looked at what other buildings not too far away were doing, but for some reason it didn't move the needle in rents that much. Um, and so we, we had to change that, but it was, and there was a lot, there was a lot of crime that was happening on, on the, on our, in our buildings. So the first, Actually, the day we signed, the day before we signed, um, our the when the maintenance guy at one of the buildings got shot. Oh no! <laughs> and and then and then he, you know, they came back and they like shot at a building. Like nobody was hurt, thankfully. But the you know the, the guy he, he ended up being okay. But so we got shot. The there were two fires at one of the buildings. There was a lot of like. Was, was it just, in one building or was it a bunch of like fourplex or 10 unit buildings? So the 51 unit definitely had more of the issues. It wasn't an area, first, you know, a little tip, don't buy in an area called the war zone. <laughs> That's not a good idea. So it had, but that was like, it had been the war zone, but we were looking, you know, we were looking around, there were buildings around there that were getting really fixed up and there was a brand new Planet Fitness and a Starbucks across the street. And I was like, okay, it's, you know, across from the medical center. I was like, okay, this is, this is an area on the rise. Right? Yeah, it's on the path of progress. Yeah, so um, I thought, okay, this is, you know, all the signs are there that were like, it's on the up and up, but it was not, not to be. It was really, it was still really a far, far cry from where it needed to be. And there was a lot, there was a lot of crime that happened there. When you bought the building, was there a lot of vacancy? There wasn't when we bought it it was like 90 something percent um at some point you know so our this property manager had come in and they were like really i think the the previous property manager that was there he would take a lot like under the table and you know and they, uh, they maybe they stuffed it with people before we bought it to to make the occupancy look good but we ended up like at some point we got down to like 50 something percent occupancy wow. and then built it up and but it was it was a tough road, and we were going through our capex, and it was just like, ah, what are we going to do? Um, and literally, it was 
prayer that fixed this for us because we were we've been flying we flew back my husband and i were flying back to albuquerque the kind of like we're starting to run out of our capex and we're trying to figure out it's like what do we focus on what do we do so we can get this noi up so we can sell these 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 like nightmare buildings and um and we had tried switching like we'd switch property management company we've done a lot to try to fix it and it was nothing worked um, or nothing was really working. And I literally I was flying that day going, okay, God, I could use a miracle just about now. <laughs> I was like, I want to do right by our investors. Like, please, a miracle would be great. Thanks. That's it. Amen. Right. <laughs> we got there and we're going through all the village and looking at still what, how much we have to do. And that night our property managers take us to dinner and they go, would you consider selling your buildings? Yes. And we're like, maybe if the price is right, you know, we have investors, we have to do right by them. And he goes, well, I have a, another owner and he's selling, he has a 1031 exchange. He has to do, he's selling a building and, and he's interested in your buildings. And they're like, okay, well, the price is to be right, but we're, we're definitely open to that. So we went and we figured, like, we created a price that was, you know, it's like, it wasn't, it's like the, the NOI had gone down, but it was like, this is a price we have to give our investors something. I don't want them to, you know, and so we gave a price that was higher than we thought, but we could negotiate down, right? And we gave him that price and he took it. He okay. even negotiated us down. I was just like... Thank you, God. <laughs> that was our miracle. So we ended up selling um, the one we got at three point oh seven five. We sold it for four million, and the one we got at one point eight, we sold it for two point five. And this is in less than two years. Wow, that's amazing. And without the NOI, with the NOI actually going down a little, so it was, it was really a miracle. And um, yeah, so we got out. Our investors had some profit and. And that was that. So let me let me ask you about the management because I think a lot of people are worried about the management when they are thinking about investing out of state. Um, mm -hmm. For me, it was a big step when I partnered with somebody and you know letting go of all the things that you can do when you are in charge and you are doing it yourself. So you know you have to kind of uh, trust people and that they are going to be doing. So what was what were the things that you were seeing in this property management team that you realized that it wasn't the best and that you had to switch teams? Well, it was just the numbers. We were looking at the, like the numbers don't lie and they were going in the wrong direction. <laughs> so, and that was, you know, it was, that was that we were. And the thing is, is that they were, they were very nice people. <laughs> you know, it's like, they're very nice. Um, and they would talk and they, they were nice and the results were crappy. Um, and I just, you know, couldn't do that. It's like we had, we had investors to look out for. So we gave them a chance. I was like, okay, this isn't working. So first we tried having different on-site managers and to see what would work. And some certain ones were better than others. Um, and they just, they weren't following their own procedures it was a lot of it's pretty lax on the side of the ownership they would blame other people but they weren't taking responsibility for you know 
But what was the problem? Well, the, you mentioned that the vacancy was going down. So was the problem that they were not checking on the tenants properly so that they would um, have to be evicted or? That, so there were, there were a lot of problems. So they were not keeping up with maintenance well. So people weren't being well taken care of. Um, they were not qualifying tenants that well. So we, we had some problem tenants coming in. Um, they were not um, collecting, they were not diligent about collecting rents or charging late fees or making sure that people paid on time. So yeah, those are the main things. <laughs> it was like maintenance, qual qualifying tenants and collecting rents. That was our main jobs and it was not working well. Um, so we tried a different property management company that had a different format, but I think they were, they were more, they were better for smaller properties. So they didn't know bigger, bigger properties as well. Um, and so it was, yeah, they, it just, it was not, it was not working out uh, for brief snippets. We had people that were, that were good and would turn things around and then they would like be switched off and like, <laughs> like somebody else would come and it would go down again. It was really bad. So uh, what were your big takeaways from the, owning these buildings and luckily being able to sell it at a profit? What did you learn that helped you for the next syndications? Yeah, so a couple of things. I think I learned that um, you really, you really have to have very trustworthy people on the ground um, and so we thought we could trust our the team that we had there and it, that that wasn't the case so we had you had to I mean ideally we'd we would have had somebody on our team that was there um, I mean you can you can invest at a distance and but you just have to have really great Team is everything. So you just need to have a really great team. Um, and the other thing I would have checked is I've since learned like you really need to look at the crime data around where you're buying. And even though you might have things that are that was sort of relying, I was like, oh, well, if Starbucks thinks it's safe enough to be there, fitness, then that's that they're, they're doing the research. They think that and that's not a bad way to look at it. But I still, if I'd looked at the crime data as compared to other places, I probably wouldn't have chosen those, uh, those areas. Um, and I, I would probably also have opted to be closer to better schools, definitely lower crime and better schools, because that, that attracts better tenants. tenants. Um, so th those are two of my major takeaways. The other one was you can always like rely on higher power because that <laughs> works out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you ask and you will receive, right? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, thank you, God. Thanks for that miracle. And I do, I pray like all the time for the, the new, the new owner. I was like, I pray that he has a very good, um, very good experience with those buildings. I wish him very well. <laughs> so I'm very grateful for him <laughs> coming and buying my buildings. <laughs> I wish him so well. I do. I wish. I hope he's wildly, wildly successful in ways we were not. <laughs> so you bought it in 2016? 
Yeah, so late 2016, and we then sold you it. You sold it in 18? Yeah, yeah, late 2018. Okay, so it was still going up. So he had a good chance of keep going. Yeah, up. so the, the market was, you know, <laughs> going up, yeah. Okay, that, that's good, because at least it wasn't like right before COVID and then... <laughs> I know, I know. Poor guy. I do. I pray for him. <laughs> All right. I, I wish you well, my friend. May, may you do well. Productivity hack. Um. <laughs> so I would love to hear from you. Um, advice on productivity. How do you handle all these things that you are doing? Yeah. So one thing that was really game changing for me was uh, from this book, The One Thing by Gary Keller. It's on, it's on your list. Yeah, definitely. I mean, basically, it's one thing that the book talks about, which is the one question, the focusing question, which is what's the one thing I can do that in so doing will make everything else easier or unnecessary? So every day I ask myself my, that question, like what's the one thing that will knock down the most dominoes? What's the one thing that's the most impactful because a lot of people are very busy, but they're not very effective because they have a long to-do list and there's no prioritization. Like no, there's no thought of what matters, what moves the needle. So there's the, you know, I, I used to think even before that I was trying to consider the 80, 20 rule. Mm -hmm. Like what's the 20% that creates 80% of results and trying to focus there and that's very helpful but the one thing was even more helpful and that's the only thing you have to do in a day anything else is bonus but if you just think about it like okay what's that one thing and if i get that one thing done <laughs> then that'll be and and that's what he had found gary keller he, he would work with his teams and they would have one thing per week and he because he at first it was three and then he made it one thing and they got their productivity went off the like went through the roof and their effectiveness went through the roof because people are just focused on the most important things versus all the busy work so i tried to do that too and that's been game changing you, you identify the busy work you could also um give it to somebody else if it's just not moving the needle you can hire and yeah, or not do it <laughs> there's so much stuff you don't really need to do um but yes i've hired people to do stuff that's important but doesn't have to be done by me um and i and then yeah so that i think about like what's the one thing that will most move us forward what's the one thing that's you know that will that will change the game the most knock down the most dominoes and that's what i try to focus on all right, awesome. Expert tips. All right, yeah. so now we're going to go to the three expert tips segment. So okay. uh, Monique is going to share three tips for women to be successful in real estate. Yeah, so, you know, my business, Real Estate Investor Gosses, it's all about supporting women to create passive income streams to real estate investing. And I created that because as I got more and more into the game, I would look around and there were no women. <laughs> so few of us um, in that 
that first year I joined this high-end real estate mastermind, I was the only woman with 19 men. And, um, and I, what you being, okay. Can you hear me? Yes. I lost you for a second. So, okay. Go back a little bit. And you said you went to the mastermind and you were the only yeah. woman. I was in this high-end real estate mastermind. I was the only woman with 19 men and, um, and I'd go to events and there would be maybe 10% of the room would be women and everyone on stage would be a man. Um, and I, in between being a lawyer, um, and you know, while, while I was doing the real estate, I became an, a coach. I became an abundance coach for women. So I was, you know, that it all came together <laughs> when real estate classes came like this divine download to me. And I was like, ah, this is, this is what I meant to do. And a lot of women have fears that keep them from getting in the game. Fears that they're going to get, they're going to lose money because they don't know what they're doing. Fears that they'll be cheated. Fears that, um, you know, fears that they, they just, they won't know what to do. And they, and th that keeps them from getting in the game. Um, so I wanted to share some tips on, you know, what, what you can do. And these are probably tips for that. Most people can, can, can use for your male users too, but especially for the ladies, this one's, these are for you. Um, so a lot of women are intimidated because there are so many men <laughs> they get there and I may, maybe get in the room and realize like gee not so many people look like me in here um, I definitely feel that way and um, so and that could a lot of women go okay that could keep them back because they think ah you know since I don't look like everybody that's a bad thing so one of the tips I want you to realize is that that is actually an asset because it is not a good thing to be like Waldo and to look like everybody and to blend in and to just be bland, <laughs> beige, like the walls, right? Like you want to um, know that your difference as a woman is an asset. So I like to think here I am a unicorn walking in the door. <laughs> like I am magical and I'm amazing. And, um, and so being different makes you memorable and being, and being a, you know, as, as a woman, there are a few things that really help you. First of all, you're like willing to ask for help, which a lot of guys don't. But the beautiful thing about being a woman is that men are really wired to help you. They're like hardwired to help women. <laughs> it's like you, you go help men and men are like, how can I help? What do I need to do? They just want to be your hero. So they, they're like, we have that ability to ask for help and, um, and being a woman and being memorable, like use that, use it as opposed to letting it be a, a detriment. Like I know that I will, people will probably remember me because I stand out. Uh, so just make sure, like keep it a positive impression. Um, be helpful. Like think about how you can help other people, which we're also kind of wired for. And, um, and, and use that as an asset as opposed to something that will keep you back. Another thing that I want to encourage ladies is to use your intuition more. That's a really powerful gift that we have. As women, our brains are literally are like the left and right sides of our brains are connected in ways that men's are, men's are not. 
And what that means is when they talk about women's intuition, it's a real thing. We actually are, do have this higher intuitive, um, there are some intuitive men, but as women, our brains are fired for more intu intuition. Uh, and I, I believe our intuition is like our life GPS. It knows the fastest way to get us from where we are to where we wanna be. We're often not taught to trust it um, because there's such a, in this culture we fetishize logic and, and, and get you away from your intuition, but you have this intuition that, that, is on a, that is gathering all of this information. So on a conscious level, maybe five, we, we're getting 5%. You're on your subconscious level, you're getting all 100%. Your intuition is putting all of that together. The subconscious input, this conscious input, the supraconscious input, and that's what intuitively you receive. And um, so learning to trust it, learning to hear it, and learning to trust it, and following it is super valuable. So that's, that's a, a tip that I'm going to give you. And I have to say that every time that I, did, uh, that I didn't listen to my intuition, I ended up with a really bad tenant. <laughs> You know, the there was nothing that I just couldn't, you know, I couldn't, you know, put, you know, find it. Like I didn't know what it was, but I just had that feeling that it wasn't a good idea. And, you know, boom. Yeah, that's what you addicts. <laughs> so if you learn, because if you look back, hopefully now you're like, when you feel that you're going to go, I don't know why, but I'm a, I'm a no with this one. <laughs> right? Like it just doesn't feel right. I'm going to trust that feeling. Or if I don't know why, like on paper, I should be like a total no about this person, but they feel great, right? Like I'm going to go with it, even though, you know, they might not have the, the job history, the credit yet, but like, I trust this, you know, it's like, that feels good. Every time that I have, I've never regretted listening to my intuition. The only things I've ever regretted are when I ignore it. And I think most, most... <laughs> People will agree with that. It's like, think about when you had this intuitive feeling and you ignored it. Like, how'd that work out for you? You know, people like, did that ever work out well? <laughs> and I don't think anyone has ever said like, something very important. Like we are wired to not trust it. Like not, you know, like sometimes I'm like, oh no, it's, it's nothing. You we're know? not wired to not trust it. We're taught to not trust it. Oh, okay. We're taught. We're taught to, to, to not trust our own knowing. You know, because it's not like we're, uh, we're as throughout our lives, it's other people will, will give you what they think you should do. Or, you know, in school, like it's, it's just like what is logical and what makes sense. But you're not taught to trust that part of you and that, you know, that like that inner knowing. And so we're often like canceled against it. Right. And that's, but you can train yourself to hear it again and, and trust it again by just listening and following it or noticing what happens when you don't follow it and noticing what happens when you do follow it and trying it with little things maybe even like should I go left or should I go right like I have a mate like I have the best parking lot luck because I just feel like I, I intuitively park right you know no, like so I'll go and I was like okay I'm supposed to go left and I'll hear it's like dude perfect spot like I always get perfect parking or whatever because I trust my intuition and I yeah I trust my intuition unconditionally now um so that's what I would recommend for women 
And the last thing is, you know, for women, it's so important that we be in a supportive sisterhood. Um, we are literally, our brains also are literally hardwired for sisterhood. There's a, there's a, um, a hormone called oxytocin. It's a bonding hormone. So that's a, it feels good. It's like, it makes us feel loved and accepted. And when our brain like releases it, it's telling our, it's telling us that this is a good thing for us. And it's released in women in orgasm. It's released when we're breastfeeding and it's released when we're around groups of women. Literally it's like just being around women, our brain is like, <laughs> this is good for you. It lowers our stress. We learn better. There's all this stuff. So definitely join there. Are like real estate investor guys is a community of women, real estate investors or other, there are a few out there as well. Um, find, find that. Um, and like lean into that because it will help sustain you. And also will inspire you as you're seeing women that are succeeding then, um, you know, especially in this, like a non-competitive, like in our, in our, in our group, we call it's a sisterhood. We call it like, we call it, welcome to our sisterhood. We're sisters, like family. We don't have to compete. We know it's an abundant universe. So it's like, we're, we cooperate with one another and we cheer each other on and we, we celebrate. We have brag Monday. So people brag and celebrate about what they're doing, but we know that, oh, she's doing it. I can do it too. Oh, look, she's doing it. I can do it too. And um, so that will help you get that confidence you need to get in the game and stay in the game. That's awesome, awesome advice. And, and that's, uh, you know, everything that you touch is so true, starting with, you know, being women. Like the first meetup that I went, I was the only woman too. I think actually uh, there were two out of like 30 to 40 people in that, uh, on that meetup. There were yep. two women. <laughs> Sounds so right. I was like, why is this so? And, and I come also from architecture, which is also um, a little bit of a male uh, career, but it's it's not, yeah. I think, as prominent as real estate where it's it's there's a lot of men. But like you said, I I took that and 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 use it to my advantage. I you know when I went before I went to my first um, life event, I created my my brand and I make sure that I had pink. Because I'm sure none of the guys is gonna have pink on their business cards. So every time that they look at my business card, they will remember it was me. <laughs> I love that. See, that's it. That's exactly it. Like you're like it is an asset to not stand to like to stand out and to not be like everyone else. Just use it. It's not don't don't let it hold you back. Like just like tell. And I just like that. Nice. That's beautiful. <laughs> All right. I am so happy to have you today. Thank you so much for sharing so much with us. So if people want to find you, how can they do it? What's your website, your email? Share with us. Yeah, so you go to reigoddesses.com. Um, that's the best place to connect with me, but also I'm at reigoddesses on Instagram and you can find us on Facebook. So all over the place, all over the socials, Twitter. I don't tweet much, but <laughs> technically I'm there. <laughs> but you'll yes, find us well yeah oh yeah uh, LinkedIn I'm I'm all over though to be honest I have I have people that are, doing, that are me on social but um but, but I'll get the message so, so reach out awesome all right yeah. if you are learning something new and you're enjoying the show please subscribe to the channel in YouTube or in uh, iTunes podcast and give us a review 
Uh, we want to bring amazing guests that share their journey. So please help us grow. Uh, thank you so much, Monique. This was amazing. Thanks for having me, Annette. This was Real Estate Deal Closers with Annette Talee, brought to you by Talee Investments. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Our goal is to provide amazing value on your real estate journey. Connect online at www.taleeinvestments.com, where you can find this episode and more. Did you like this episode? Subscribe, like, and share.